0: Welcome to the Dick Schroeder podcast. Dick draws his teaching from a deep well of love for the Bible and 50 years of strategic ministry among university students. Enjoy this episode and remember, your Father in Heaven loves you. Praise the Lord. Well, let's join for a word of prayer. Father, once again, we're excited to be here together. Lord, I'm especially impressed with the hunger that I sense here among my brothers and sisters, Lord. Father, by your Holy Spirit, I ask you tonight to once again write, challenge, convict, and minister life, Father. Make us people, Father, that will be accurate representations of Jesus in our day-to-day life. Lord, help us to cultivate the closet time with you that you so much desire Because you want to fellowship with us even more than we desire to know and fellowship with you. Give us a thirst and a new insight today by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 2, I want to begin with verse 25. It's very interesting to me that the scripture, in the midst of the account of the birth and the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth and his coming to earth, that inserted in the midst of this account are two brief passages about two virtually unknown people, but they're significant because they had insight into what God was doing. And I want you especially to contrast this with all the scribes and the Pharisees, many of whom missed what God was doing, probably, in, at least in the scripture, the only two that uh, were anywhere near at all aware of what God was doing was Nicodemus after his encounter with Jesus and Joseph of Arimathea, who was the one who took Jesus's body and put it in his own tomb. It seems like those were the only two men who had hearts at all that were responsive to what Jesus was doing right in, in, in their midst in Israel there. And here the scripture gives us a delightful account of two people who I believe had cultivated the inward life, and as a result of them, God rewarded them in a very special way. Luke two twenty five. This is when Jesus was being dedicated in the temple, and it says that um, there was a behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout. Notice the word devout is a man who was devoted to the Lord, not just a man who had devotions but he is a man who loved god with all his heart and prayed and did the mechanics of devotion out of a heart of love for god and so because of this he was looking for the consolation of israel and the holy spirit was upon him now remember in the old testament the old, the holy spirit as Dave has been so uh, eloquently displaying and bringing out for us this week, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament only came on people at certain times and it usually was just for a brief moment in their lives. It wasn't an ongoing thing like in the New Testament. And, but here is one man who is, who has the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him. And it's like God was so pleased with this man, Simeon's, Desire to know Him and the the time and the the cost that He paid to get to know God. God put His Holy Spirit upon Him, and it said that it had been revealed to Him by the Holy Spirit. Now, now doesn't that make you thirsty? It had been revealed to Him by the Holy Spirit, and I believe God is in the revealing business today. And I believe that God will reveal things to us as we have need to know, and as we grow in trustworthiness before the Lord. I believe that Jesus will reveal things to us. And here's what God had revealed to Simeon. He said he had he had been revealed it had been revealed to him that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah or the Lord's Christ. And so he came in the Spirit into the temple. Notice, remember, we talked about John in Revelation one ten that John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He was cultivating a a real, vibrant, and alive relationship with the Lord. It It wasn't just that he was technically saved, but he was in fellowship with Jesus. Jesus had not only knocked on Simeon's door, like we read in Revelation 3.20, but Simeon had to let Jesus come into his life and they were dining and fellowshipping and enjoying each other's presence. And the Lord whispered a little secret to him one day and said, Simeon, one of these days before you die, you're going to see the Messiah. And you need to realize what the Messiah meant to a Jew. To see the Messiah was to see all of the hopes and dreams of all of the prophets. And for God to say that, you're going to get to see the Messiah before you die was an extreme privilege that must have made Simeon's heart flutter. I mean, he was just excited. And one day into the temple he comes, he's in the spirit, he's in a, in a, in a sense of inward communion with God. And what happens? And when the parents brought, the, brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, now Lord, Thou dost let thy bondservant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light of revelation. To the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at these things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher, and she was advanced in years, having lived with a husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. And she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayer. And again, because she experienced that kind of fellowship, she was in on what God was doing. Notice of all the maybe hundreds of thousands of people that were in Israel, there was only two or three or four people that knew what God was doing Mary Elizabeth who is the mother of John the Baptist and Simeon and Anna the prophetess and she was in the temple that day and at that very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Jesus to all those who were looking for the redemption of Israel And I want to I want to give you that because it's out of that inward communion that inward secret place with the Lord that if you're willing to give yourself to that and if if we're willing to make fellowshipping with, with God the highest priority in our life, then God is going to reward that and God is going to give you insight and wisdom. And I'm not saying necessarily that you'll know prophetic events, but God will let you know the things that you need to know to live a fruitful life. And oh, the edge that comes from being in that relationship with the Lord where he can just guide us and direct us. And at any moment, his glory can simply flow through our lives because we are in communion. It's like we're in the spirit at all times. Uh, Two days ago, we talked about waiting on the Lord, the discipline of just waiting quietly before God, allowing God to speak his thoughts into our mind, allowing our mind to quiet down enough and to be relaxed enough before him where we can be open to hear what the Spirit would say to us. I want to give you this little uh, axiom here. It says, while while we wait, God works. While we wait, God works. But while we work, God waits. And so when we wait upon the Lord, and there's many, many other scriptures, if we had time, we could go through, both in the Old and the New Testament, about the importance of waiting on God. And if you will wait on God, then God begins to work through our lives and on, on our behalf. But when we get caught up in just doing God's work, then I think God sits back as he sits back and he waits for us to wait upon him. And so the, one of the real keys for a fruitful life is cultivating that, that time alone with the Lord where we're just learning to get to know him better. We're learning to fellowship with him. Now, tonight, I want to go on to uh, another discipline that's that 's very similar to waiting on God, and this is the discipline of meditating on scripture, and that this discipline ties very closely in with the concept of waiting on God and i want to distinguish between meditating on scripture and study of scripture richard foster does this very well in his book he has two separate chapters and i am in no way belittling study because it's a very important area of our lives we need to be cultivating our our intellect as well as um, all all parts of us but when i talk about meditating on scripture we're talking we're talking exclusively about Allowing God to apply the Word to our lives, we're not looking for teaching. We're not looking for theological or doctrinal insights. Those are important, but it, it's a, that's in a different uh, kind of a different category in our lives. But what I'm after in meditation is for for us to take God's Word and to come before Him and say, "Now, Lord, what do You mean by this?" i'm trusting you to expand my depth to expand my understanding that i might really lay a hold of what you mean by this verse or you read a a particular story in the old testament and and you you, you, you read it over in your mind and you ponder it and you say, now, Lord, what's going on here? What, what were you trying to do? What's the lesson that you're trying to portray by giving us this portion of your word? And listen, you guys, even in the Old Testament where you have, you know, the, the, the phone book parts of the Bible, that's where, you know, have, you have all the so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so, and you have all those lists and genealogies and which, you know, most of us just, skip over and say, well, that's nice, you know, that God put those in there. But, you know, as I've meditated and just pondered, God has shown me all so- sorts of neat insights, all sorts of neat reasons why he allowed those things to be in there. One the, one thing that God showed me is that people and families are so important to God that he allowed a certain portion of them to be put in his word. Now, of course, there isn't a book big enough to hold all the families, but, you know, all of our families are that important to God. He keeps all kinds of records in his heart about who begats who and what happens to every person on the earth all throughout history. That was little, one of the insights as I was meditating one day. God just dropped it into my heart, and I I appreciated God. I said, "Wow, God, that's tremendous! You're not the the great IBM computer in the sky. You're the God of, of the of the person that cares intimately for each one of us." Now let's look at Psalms verse one. Our, yeah, Psalms chapter one. I want introduce this discipline of meditating on God's word. When we receive a promise from God, a promise has two parts. A promise is composed of, first of all, what God will do. Maybe you get a promise to this effect. Behold, I will bless you. That's one of the promises of the Old Testament. But there's always a condition that goes along with that, and that condition is obedience to to something that God will make clear to you in your life. There's always a condition when we talk about claiming promises. How many of you have heard the expression claiming promises? Lord, I claim this promise. That's good. God wants us to claim promises. But what we need to realize is that there's always an underlying condition and then if we are, if we are purposeful and diligent to say, now Lord, I'd like to claim this promise. What do you require of me by way of obedience so that this can come about? And if we will, we'll give ear to that. And like it says over and over in the, in the Old Testament, it says, if you will obey my voice if you will heed to my commandments. But it's interesting, how many times in the Old Testament it says, obey my voice, not just obey the rule book, but God is very implicit that he says, you need to obey me and I will guide and show you how to apply all the commandments that I have given to you. And then when we have obeyed the Lord, then we receive what was promised and uh, the blessing or whatever God, uh, whatever we were claiming and whatever God promised will be manifest in our lives. Now the promise in Psalms one is this verse 3 and he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its season okay so there's fruitfulness and its leaf does not wither that means there's not going to be a fading and a fainting away disease and all sorts of things aren't going to nullify the effectiveness of your life and then the real crux of this is in verse or in the last part of verse 3 and in whatever he does He prospers. In whatever he does, he prospers. Now, isn't that quite a promise? I'd like to claim that one. I'd like whatever I do and whatever I set my hands to do to prosper. Boy, you couldn't ask for a better promise than that. And God will do that if we fulfill the conditions. And the conditions are given in verse one and two. First verse, David says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The first condition is that we need to be separated from sin. We need to be separated from all that is evil. We need to be separated from everything that the Holy Spirit convicts in our lives. And if we will say no to sin, and as the Holy Spirit puts his finger on an area of our life that is not pleasing to God, and I have found that to be an ongoing process. God is continually working with me and pointing out areas in my life that he needs to change. That's the discipline of God the Father. because the Bible said, God disciplines those whom he loves. Discipline is a sign of God's love. So God is continually refining our lives, molding us into the image of Jesus. So that's the first thing. We need to separate ourselves from sin. How many have of you have been very aware of a period of time in your life when God has dealt with a specific thing that he's wanting to root out of your life. And you know that, boy, God is after this thing in my life. Maybe it's your sexual behavior. Maybe um, you were involved in drugs in some way. I, was, I became a Christian and I was still smoking dope for a couple of months. And, and God didn't touch that area for a while, but when he did, he came with his sword and he said, it's time you give that up, boy. And I said, yes, sir. And I gave it up and God severed that out of my life. Now he was cleaning a lot of other things up until that time and God knows how to deal with us. Say so, and, and and when you know God's dealing with you if he's dealing with you about maybe a lack of boldness or you are or you're not being truthful in situations or you're not loving someone like you ought to then that's the area that's the that's the the current issue in your life and that's the one God is requiring obedience and if you're obeying and and keeping a short account with the Lord on that point then you're walking in the light and then you're you're going to be in in a place where you can receive this promise. And then the second thing, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. We need to delight in God's word, not as a duty, but out of a love relationship with, with him. So God wants us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and spirit. And if we look at reading the word as a duty, like, okay, Lord, I'm going to read my three chapters today, you know, to be a good Christian, I got to do this. You're approaching it with the wrong attitude. We need to approach the word of God with the attitude of, oh, Lord, I want to learn more about you. I want to learn more about your law so that I might keep it in my life. And it's like when I am on a trip and I get a letter from my wife, Joy, I don't go through it and go, oh, yes, uh a letter for my wife. I better be a good husband and, uh, you know, I better read it. And, uh, maybe I probably should write her back. And, oh, yes, you know, she said this. And, oh, that was nice that she said that. And, you know, so I don't dissect it and uh, look at it analytically. But, man, I'm excited when my wife writes me a letter. And right? I Because I love my wife and I delight in her. And in the same way, if we delight in God, we're going to find meaning by being in his word. We're going to have that heart's cry that says, Lord, I really want to know you better. And here I am again this morning waiting at your doorpost waiting for you to feed me from your word. Do you enjoy God's word? I trust that you're coming to a point of more and more appreciating the word of God. And I found that the more that I've spent time studying and and meditating and, and just asking God to reveal, especially a lot of the Old Testament, there's a lot of mysteries in the Old Testament, a lot of things that you need to understand some of the historical perspective in order to really lay a hold of what's going on in there. But I found God to be utterly faithful as I've spent the time in just waiting before him and asking the Lord to teach me from his word that God has opened up all kinds of beautiful things. Don't make the mistake of just reading the New Testament. The God is the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, and he intends us to study and know both. There's kind of a tendency today to emphasize the New Testament and say, well, you know, the Old Testament really isn't all that important. That's, that's not true. There's a lot of beautiful insights that God wants to give us from both the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you delight in the word of God, if you really have a, a heart's desire to know God, then God is going to bless you and he is going to cause you to prosper. Now, prosperity depends on at least four things. Let me give those to you. The first thing is prosperity depends on seeking the Lord. This business of having a closet time can also be ca- uh, characterized by the term seeking the Lord. We read that in the Scripture many times. So and so sought the Lord with all his heart. Or, as in the in the case of many of the kings of Israel, we find the the the, uh, the statement about them in the Word that says they went astray because they did not seek the Lord and obey His commandments. And in Second Chronicles chapter twenty six and verse five, it says this. About King Uzziah, 2 Chronicles 26, 5. Verse 4 says, And that he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. And he continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. So as long as we are seeking and seeking the Lord is 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 simply no more than waiting before God and saying, Lord, I want you to answer me. I want you to answer the cry of my heart. I've got these questions that I want you to to make clear to me. It's just that attitude of saying, Lord, I want to kind of grab onto your coattail and I want a little time with you. I want you to show me the things that I'm desiring to know in my heart. So it's, you know, it's, it's not going out seeking after people. It's not seeking out the pastor. And it's not even seeking out knowledge, but it's seeking out the giver of all knowledge. So prosperity depends on our attitude of seeking the Lord. And once again, if we're going to seek the Lord, then we're going to have to set aside time on a daily basis to do that. The second thing is obedience. We need to obey the things that God has spoken to us. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, Solomon is being commissioned by his father, David. And this is what David says to him in verse 12 and 13. David says, only the Lord give you discretion and understanding and give you charge over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you shall prosper if you are careful to observe the statutes and the ordinances which the Lord commanded Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be dismayed. And here David is, is charging and commissioning his son by saying, obey the commandments and, and keep meditating, keep, keep your mind refreshed of the law. And remember, at this time, the law was probably just the first five books of the Old Testament. You know, talk about dry reading. That's all they had back then. And yet David said, I meditate on your law day and night. And because of that, God was able to pour revelation of himself because he gave himself to meditating on the word of God. Then the third thing, the third uh, thing that prosperity depends on is the attitude of faith, believing in faith. And this is very, very important because faith is a certain attitude inside that is active. Faith is an attitude that says, yes to God. I believe you can do that. We sang the chorus that Steve taught us from Jeremiah. that says, all Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power. Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. See, faith is that attitude that rises up and says, though this looks impossible, God, I believe you. See, I believe that you can fulfill this in my life. Do you believe that God can make a man or a woman of God out of you? See, faith rises up and says, Lord, I believe that you can do it. I believe it about the, the, the issue that Dave's been talking about, about being filled with the Spirit. Do you believe God can use you in the gifts of the Spirit? See, an attitude of doubt goes, well, I don't know. I just I don't know. I just don't know. But an attitude of faith says, Lord, I don't understand all uh, how this thing works, but I believe that you're sovereign and big enough to work in my life, and I present myself as an open channel to you. See, that's an attitude of faith. That's why Paul says to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. It's not the attitude of, well, if God wants to give me one, here I am. He knows where I am. He'll plop one in my lap. No, Paul says, you earnestly desire the spiritual gifts because God wants us to have that posture saying, Lord, I'm willing to be used. I'm here. I'm available. God needs, he needs someone that's just available, open and saying, hey, Lord, if you want to use me, I'm a candidate tonight. So believing in faith, Second Chronicles 2020, story of Jehoshaphat, how they went out and won the battle under God's direction through singing and the choir went out and sang and God supernaturally routed the enemy. In Second Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 20, it says, and they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoya. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, put your trust in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. And so they were able to rout the enemy, even though they did it in kind of an unconventional way with the choir going out first and the singers and all that. But God had a plan and he executed it because they obeyed the word of the Lord, saying. They obeyed and they believed what God had spoken to them. And really, isn't the greatest prosperity that God is with us? That's the greatest prosperity of all, that God is here. God is in our midst and Jesus is living in our hearts. Hallelujah. And then the fourth condition of prosperity is the the discipline of meditating on the Word of God. There's no boredom in discovering more about the one you love. There's no boredom in when you look at it in the sense of we're discovering something more about Jesus, the most important and honored and revered person in the whole universe. Now, I want you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 17. In Deuteronomy 17 Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is reiterating the law that was given that was given in Exodus and Leviticus 40 years before and after the the disobedience of the nation of Israel and they they just wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until that generation died off then God commissioned the next generation to go in and take the promised land and the the reason why they perished in the wilderness is that they were not obedient they would not mold to god's direction in their lives they wanted to go back to egypt they wanted to go their own way and it's amazing to me to think that even god almighty could not bring them into the land even the almighty god with whom nothing is impossible he could not bring them into the land because of their unbelief and their disobedience and so they were sentenced by their own choices to wander in the wilderness. Let that be a tremendous example to us because we'll wander in the wilderness too. See, God will let us go our own way if we don't obey him. He says, okay, have it your way. Then we have it our way and it turns out to be a mess. turns out to be a dry and frustrating and messed up experience. That's what the lesson of history is. The the rise and fall of nations have have risen and fallen uh, according to whether they've obeyed or disobeyed God's eternal moral law. But God wants us to respond, see, in faith. He wants us to rise up and uh and, and say, Lord, we want to follow you. You're the wise and just ruler of the universe. You know how to run this thing, and we want to go with your plan, not our own. So Moses is reiterating the law again to this new generation of people. And this is especially significant to anyone who is desiring to be a leader. And I want you to hear. The heartbeat of God in his laws. He is giving this, given this revelation to Moses. And in verse 18, Deuteronomy 17 and verse 18, it says, Now it shall come about that when he, now that's speaking of a king or a leader, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on the scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. So God says, the king has got to have his own personal copy of the Torah, of the law, and it shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left in order that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. That's God's priority for a leader. God is saying, if you are going to be any kind of a leader, you give yourself to study and meditation of my word. You obey what I tell you to do. And I will preserve you as a godly leader. And I will make you to be a blessing in your leadership instead of a curse. And you'll bring blessing upon those whom follow after you rather than bringing a curse on them, which is what happens when there's hypocrisy and disobedience in leadership. All sorts of bad things happen to the people that are following. And so hear the heartbeat of God today, my, my dear friends and brothers and sisters in the Lord. That is God's premium. He said that the king should write for himself a copy of the law, study it, meditate it on every day of his life. And then obey the things that are written therein. And God will bless you if you do that. The blessing of God, God's prosperity will rest upon you if you give yourself to doing that. Now, what is meditation? I like to say that meditation is the digestive faculty of the soul. Meditation is the digestive faculty of the soul. When you eat something, we we chew it up with our mouths and we prepare it for our stomachs. And then as we swallow it, it goes down into our stomach and our digestive system. And there the food is is um, is taken apart. The, the usable parts are um, transferred by the various organs of the body and is able to be transferred to energy and all the, the things we need to run our body, the nutrients and all that. And then the, the waste material is collected and then discarded out of our body. And meditation is like the digestive process. Meditation takes the word of God and it's like it digests it and makes it a part of us. Instead of just having it up here in, in, our, in, our, in our knowledge reservoir, in our minds, meditation takes it from the reservoir up here, begins to work it into our lives, and, and kind of writes it on the very fabric of our personality and writes it on the tablets of our heart. And that's one of the ministries of the Holy Spirit. God wants to write his law on our hearts. And meditation is the way, is, is kind of the vehicle or the discipline that that happens in john 6:63 6, jesus said this the words that i speak to you are spirit and are life the flesh profits nothing but the words that i speak to you are spirit and are life you know when jesus spoke to people life happened when jesus said something there was there was very literally an impartation of life to people not not only literally when he healed people but when he spoke to the woman at the well and said You know, you've had five husbands and the guy you're living with now isn't even your husband. That was a word of life to her. And that cut through all the religiosity and all of the callousness around her heart. And boy, that stuck right in her heart. And after the conversation was completed, this woman went into town and said, I have found the Messiah. I have found the one who is promised to come. And she told the whole town of Samaria about it because that word of life went right into her heart that's what happens when we speak words of life. And when God makes things real to us, when, when God begins to write those things on our hearts, then we have authority to minister those things to other people. And when we have an understanding of the revelation of God's love, and we, when we've experienced that and walk that through in our hearts, then when we minister to people and we say to them, God loves you. The Holy Spirit, he takes our words and he bears witness with their heart and something happens in them and they go, wow, you know? And God starts working on the inside. That's why there's such tremendous authority when we obey the things that God has spoken to us. Remember it says of the scribes and the Pharisees that they sounded, well, Jesus, they they said, Jesus, man, he's got authority and he doesn't sound like the scribes and Pharisees because they just sound like tape recorders. See? And what didn't, doesn't Paul say that without love, we're clanging cymbals and noisy gongs? See, we're just noise, you know? And you guys, there's lots of religious noise in the world. There's lots of the gospel going forth from lives that are less than what God wants them to be. But when there's the reality of the Spirit, when we're living a life of obedience, when we speak to people, the Holy Spirit does His job, and there's, there's a powerful impact of the Word in their lives, and something happens in their heart. There's conviction, there's God's shaking their little cage and, and beginning to prepare them to, to, uh, to deal with who Jesus is. Tremendous thing happen, tr- tremendous things happen on the inside. And if you will put it upon your heart, and if, if you'll take this discipline of meditation, see, more of the word is going to become living in you. And when you speak the words of life to people, they're going to, they're going to respond. They're going to respond. Sometimes negatively, sometimes positively, but they're going to respond. And the cost of that authority is obeying God. That's the only way it comes. It comes by living a life of obedience to Jesus. In 2 Peter 1 and verse 4, let's look at that. 2 Peter 1, 4. Peter says, For by these, that's by the promises of God, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them, You may become a partaker of divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And when we claim a promise and take the necessary steps of obedience for God to fulfill that promise, very literally, we take on the divine nature. See, we're taking on the very nature of Jesus. And I like to think of meditation like this, that we're literally just feeding on Christ, we're feeding on him and we're we're receiving the word from his hand and he's showing us not only the the intellectual dimension of it but he's showing us the spiritual or the heart application of it cuz see truth is both it is both an objective reality and a spirit say because Jesus is the truth John 14:6 says says that Jesus is the way the truth and the life and see, the truth is not just a law book somewhere out in the sky or out in the universe, you know, laying out there in a big scroll, but the the, the truth of the universe is in the person of Christ. And he's got a heart, he's got personality, he's the essence of love. And so when we speak truth, Not only is an objective reality, but it's how that truth is ministered. See, I can say something to you in love, or I can say something in pride. Something said in love is going to edify. Something said in pride is going to put someone down and hurt them. And God, every time he speaks, is always done in love. Even the most severe word of judgment that is spoken by the heart of God is still done in utmost love. And so that's why it's important that we have the nature of Christ within us so that not only when the word goes forth, that the the word goes forth that the proper spirit of love and holiness and justice goes along with it. So we're feeding on Christ and Jesus wants the word to become flesh within us. And that's what happens as we meditate before the Lord. The word begins to take on New dimensions and it becomes, it becomes a living word to us as we see its implications and the things that God wants to do through us and and in our lives. Uh, There's a, I like to liken meditation to what a cow does. Remember, cows go out and they graze and they, they chop down a bunch of grass and put it down into their first stomach and then they sit down and then they, uh, bring that grass back up for a second second run and they as they sit there and they chew their cud don't they and if you ever have ever seen dairy cows do that they're real contented they're sitting there and just looking around and you know they're just real happy to be chewing the cud and that's and really what meditation is it's like we're bringing back up god's word and we're thinking about it we're pondering it We're asking the spirit to give new depth and insight to what we're reading. And as we take time to do that, then God begins to give us the depth of the scripture. He begins to put a new dimension to it. Paul says, he said it this way when he prayed in Ephesians 3, he said that you might understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of Christ, which is even beyond comprehension. And so we begin to understand those, those unseen values and feelings of God's heart as we, as we take it upon ourselves to meditate before God and before, and and just to daily meditate on His Word. David is, is again our example. Um, how many of you have read Psalms 119? It's the longest Psalm in the Bible. And yet it, it is filled with so many interesting insights. And basically Psalms 119 is praising God for His law. And over and over, David says, Lord, thank you for your statutes. Thank you for your guardrails in my life, because in obeying them, I have found what life is all about. And and remember, again, David was probably looking at the first five books of the Bible, maybe the book of Joshua and maybe a little bit of the historical books. But he wasn't looking at nearly all the scripture that we have today. And yet David said, Lord, I love your law and I meditate on it day and night. I think about it. All throughout the day, I think of its implications for my life. I think of of its implications as I rule over your nation of Israel. And see, he's always has the Word of God in his mind, and it's and it's affecting the way he thinks. It's permeating the decisions that he makes. And that's why King David is one of the great men of the Bible. That's why he is really a picture of the of the royal kingliness of Jesus. Because David is really the royal king, and, and by far the greatest king of the Old Testament. And what was his secret? He wasn't perfect because he man he made some tragic mistakes. But he meditated on God's word, and he responded in obedience when God spoke to him. Let's look at a, just a couple of the of, of the insights that David had, and these really ought to ought to whet your appetite to to meditate on the Scripture. First of all, verse fifteen, Psalms one nineteen, verse fifteen. David says. I will meditate on thy precepts and regard thy ways. So I will meditate on thy precepts and I will regard thy ways. Again, meditation. David says, I, I just chew these over in my mind. I like, sit like a cow out in the grass and I, I, I chew these things around in my mind and I think of them and I'm asking the spirit to give light on them. Verse 23. It says, even though princes sit and talk against me, thy servant meditates on thy statutes. And you know, you read the account of David's life, you know that in several places, David got into some very sticky situations. He really got into some trouble. And there were some places that really, he could have really succumbed to stress and to worry and fear. And yet he says that he didn't do that. And even when kings were, were gossiping and the media was against him and everybody was crying out saying, let's get this guy. What was David doing? He was meditating on the scripture. He had his priorities right. And as a result of that, he was able to make wise decisions in the face of danger. So he was able to make godly decisions and preserve his kingdom. Boy, may God, may God help us to do that. As you under, undergo the pressures of life, the pressures of your job, and then when you get into ministry, there's all kinds of pressures of ministry. Don't succumb to those, but learn to meditate on God's word and let that be your portion. And then verse 48, this is really a good verse. Verse 48 says, I shall lift up my hands to thy commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. See, people love God's commandments, he didn't just kind of endure them, like, oh, Lord, this is really boring, you know, but, you know, I'm going to be a good servant, and I'm going to love them anyway. But David learned to appreciate God because he understood God's ways through the commandments. And that'll happen. The more we meditate on God and his word, the more I love him, the more I appreciate God's tremendous wisdom and insight. I just go, hallelujah, Lord, you're a great God. May the arrogant be ashamed, for they subvert me with a lie, but I shall meditate on thy precepts. Here David didn't succumb to bitterness and and resentment when we, when he was hurt and even betrayed you know when when King Saul was trying to murder him and trying to pin him to the wall with a spear and was actually out chasing him as a dog in the wilderness David didn't let those unfortunate circumstances result in bitterness but he he just simply gave it to God and he gave, he gave himself to studying and meditating on the word of God he did not let hurt and resentments and bitterness Enter his life. And you guys, if you take steps against the kingdom of darkness and any time you move ahead with the Lord, you're going to be coming against the enemy's kingdom. And the enemy will throw darts of bitterness and there will be situations that you're going to have opportunity to be hurt, betrayed, lied against, spoken against. Your reputation is going to be touched by, by people whom the enemy is going to use. And if you succumb to bitterness... It's like getting wounded in battle and they have to take you out. You're not going to be effective anymore. The way to keep free of getting wounded in the spiritual battle we're in is to forgive. You just got to live with unconditional forgiveness. And, and all of you, as you, as you follow the Lord, you're going to have opportunities to forgive. That's part of being what like Jesus. Jesus, look how much He's forgiven us for. Because He was perfect. And all of us are far from being perfect. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So how much more should we forgive those who have who who would hurt and 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 betray us? I've gone through a situation in in a ministering situation that I've I've been through that uh, went through a a, a deal of betrayal of, of one of my very close friends in ministry and they Ended up going their own way, and um, it was a real mess, and it was a very wounding thing for me. It hurt. It was painful. made me mad. I wanted to take my own revenge, and God just said, Dick, you just let it go. You meditate on my precepts. You meditate on me, and you let me vindicate you. And I have just had to let it go and say, okay, God, you take care of it. I'm not going to defend myself. I'm not going to rise up in anger. I'm going to allow you to vindicate me in your time. And and all of you will have tests like that. And boy, purpose in your heart now that you're not going to let resentment and bitterness because it'll eat you and destroy you. It really will. And the enemy will get his hook in your, in your belly and you won't get free of it until you forgive. And there's been many a good man and woman of God that are ineffective today because they're filled with bitterness. They're filled with resentment because something unfair or hurtful happened to them. Listen, in a battle, when you go to war, people get shot up, don't they? And they get hurt real bad. And we're in a spiritual battle and, and you're just going to, you're going to take some flack when you're doing God's work, but it'll always be healed if you'll respond in forgiveness. Hallelujah. And then verse 99, last verse. David says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I have more insight than all of my teachers because I meditate on God's word. You know, I've heard some good teachers in the last decade of my life as being a Christian. And I was a young Christian. I used to hear these guys come to salt and they'd share these things and they'd make the gospels or a, a portion of scripture come alive. And I'd think, man, where did they get that? And I'd say, hey, what book did you read or what tape did you listen to? And when in 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 reality, where did they get it? They got it from the Lord. They got it the hard way, meditating, walking with God, learning, obeying. That's where we get revelation. Although God can use other vehicles like books, tapes, and studies, that's okay to use that. But in, in, in the ultimate sense, it's got to be written in our heart through the crucible of experience. And if you will, if you will make it the priority of your life to meditate on God's word, you're going to be known as a Christian with insight into the ways of God. You're going to be known as a person that knows God and has wisdom and knowledge even beyond your teachers. And I hope that all of you get beyond me. Amen. I would, I would that all of you would surpass where I'm at because I want all of you to know God. And so does the Lord. He wants you to know him intimately. But the price to get there is the daily meditation. The fruit Are the results of meditating on the Lord? Are are these bringing forth fruit? Jesus said in John 15 that He wanted us to bear fruit, and that that fruit should not remain, or that 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 fruit should remain, that it should not pass away. See what we're working for? We're working for things that are eternal, that aren't going to pass away when we die, that are going to that are going to last through the judgment seat of Christ, and that are going to be able to to be with us all throughout eternity. Oh, man, what an exciting thing that is. And if we will put the Word of God first in your life, then what you do is going to last unto eternity. You're not gonna wither, that means you're not gonna you're not gonna faint away at some point in your life. and everything that you do will prosper. And you guys, that's not just the spiritual things. That means the hobbies, that means your family. That means your car. That means everything in your life. God says, I will prosper you. I think this is the true prosperity message, See, is is obeying the will of God. And then the prosperous hand of our God is upon us because we've set our heart first to seek him and honor him and please him in all respects. Helps keep us from evil. See, God, God will protect us and it'll produce more understanding than all of our teachers. And so God invites us to attend the bible school not not a academic bible school but it's the school of the spirit and it's open 24 hours a day and you always can get personal appointments with the president jesus is there anytime and he invites us to enter the school of the spirit daily meditating daily allowing the word of god to be to be spoken into our lives so let me give you once again some practical steps here and then we'll close some practical steps, and I want to take these from Luke chapter twenty-four. Luke chapter twenty-four, verses twenty-eight through thirty-two. This is on the road to Emmaus. The disciples had uh, two of the disciples had gone out of Jerusalem after Mary had um, seen the the angel, and had the angel had told her that the Lord had risen. Uh, Peter and Cleopas had left the city, and they were on the, the road to Emmaus. And Jesus comes by, and they don't recognize him. But he comes and he begins to talk to them, and they think he's just a stranger. And they they're talking with each other, and it gets late, and and they tell this stranger and says, "Man, we've enjoyed such good fellowship. Why don't you come stay with us?" And here's what happens here in verse twenty-eight. And as they approached the village where they were going and he acted as though he would go further and they urged him saying, stay with us for it is getting towards the evening and the day is now nearly over. And he went in to stay with them. And it came about that when he had reclined at table with them that he took the bread and blessed it and breaking it, he began giving it to them and their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Wow, I would have liked to have been there. And they said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us as he was speaking to us on the road while he was explaining the scriptures to us see on the road Jesus they didn't know it but it was Jesus and he was telling them about himself and all the scriptures and they were just wow being blown away by revelation they were just all excited and then Jesus revealed himself to them and he was gone but see there was a response in their hearts wasn't wasn't they were they were excited Their hearts were burning within them because the Holy Spirit was opening revelation up to them about God and his kingdom. So the first thing that we need to do in meditation is we must learn to sit with Jesus. We must learn to sit with Jesus. And that's again the the discipline of waiting on God, just being in the presence of God. And as we grow in our inward reality of the presence of Christ, of the presence of the Spirit, then then we're going to be more and more, kind of in an ongoing way, we're going to be more sensitive to God. The second thing is we need to be relaxed with Jesus. You can't come into the presence of the Lord to meditate on His Word with unconfessed sin in your life. You can't be doing things that violate your conscience and expect to receive revelation. So you've got to live with clean accounts. You know, if God says quit stealing cookies, you got to quit stealing cookies. Because if you go on stealing cookies and, and trying to meditate on the Word of God, you're being a hypocrite, and God will not give you any more revelation until you do the last thing that He's told you to do. And if that's quit stealing cookies, then you need to do that. We need to confess our sin when, when God convicts us. We need to say, God, forgive me, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I ask you to cleanse me now by the blood of Jesus. But we also need to come into the presence of God with full assurance that we are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. See, sometimes we get going the other way and we don't think we're, we're worthy. I'm like, oh, God would never speak to me. I make so many mistakes. I sin so much. You know, God's just not happy with me at all. And those are lies of the enemy. That's condemnation. There's conviction in the Holy Spirit, but there's not condemnation. And as long as you've responded to what God has spoken to you about, then you can come into the presence of God clean and transformed by the blood of Jesus and by the grace of God so we all were saved by the grace of God anyway and we were we're going to be kept by the grace of God. We're not kept in we're not kept before the Lord because we're doing a good job. We're kept by the grace of God just like we all met Jesus out of his grace. So we need to walk and be relaxed with him. And then the third thing, just as Jesus took the bread and blessed it and gave it, so we need to take a portion of scripture and ask God to reveal something that he would want to reveal to us from this portion of Scripture. The prayer from Ephesians one seventeen through 19, again, is very applicable at this point, saying, God, grant to me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the true knowledge of you. Now, what I suggest you do here is that is that you take a, a small portion of scripture to meditate on. You can't meditate like on a whole chapter. Really, it needs to be condensed down to one or two or three verses, just a few verses that you can focus in for a period of time, say 10 or 15 minutes, maybe start out with five minutes. But you're just taking one verse and you're just pondering it in your mind and you're just trying to open yourself to, to the Holy Spirit and saying, "Now, Lord, what do you want to show me about this verse? Is there anything, you know, what, what did you mean by this verse? And just, you know, just waiting there. And and as 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 you think about that, many times God will begin guiding my thoughts. And I'll think of another verse like, oh yeah, God said this over in this letter. And then then a new it's like God starts putting pieces of his puzzle together and I'll go, Oh wow, that's that's interesting. And I and, and then you know it's kind of like the juices start flowing and I'm off and just getting all excited about something that God's showing me about. How many of you have read a verse once? And, and you just, it's like a little light comes on and you go, Oh, wow, I never saw that before. And you know, and there's, there's a quickening of the Holy Spirit. That's what I'm talking about. That, that is the fruit of meditation. Now, again, don't think that that's going to happen every day. It doesn't. But from time to time, there will be these, these very real quickenings and God's going to make things really clear to you. Or God's going to show you something about yourself. He's going to, show you the scripture that says, love your enemies, and then he's going to remind you of one of your enemies, and you're going to go, "Oops, I'm sure not loving that guy. Then God's going to bring some correction, and he's going to draw you again onto um, more obedience in, in that area of loving your enemy. All kinds of ways God can quicken things to us. But I suggest that you do that. You just take a small portion of scripture every day and day. It's been one of my goals, that I want to meditate through the entire Bible by by the end of my lifetime. I've, I've meditated through several books in the New Testament now. Um, we've got a long ways to go because it takes a long time to meditate. You know, you're not taking very much at a time. If you go verse by verse every day, you're, you're not going to make it very far in the course of a year. But over a lifetime, Look at the amount of hours and time you're going to have. And it's a lot of time where God can begin to speak to you. But I encourage you just to take a a little bit when you go through this discipline of meditation. One guy said it like this. He says when he sits down for his quiet time, he likes to have a good meal of meat and potatoes. And he said, potatoes is where I read my three or four chapters or whatever particular schedule you're on for your daily reading. And that's good. You know, get some potatoes under your belt. But then takes the meat out and the meat is the meditation. You take the one verse And Paul, you know, the Bible says that that milk is for the newborn babes. And, and when my little boy was nursing, he he uh, uh, nursed at, at at my wife's breasts, and he got he got pre-digested food because he's just a little kid, and he needed that kind of nourishment that was that her body processed and just uh, whipped up the right formula so my little boy could have the formula that he needed. And God's the the beauty of of uh, the reproductive system. But now that my boy's a little older; he can begin to chew on things for himself. And he's just coming to the place now because he's got enough teeth where he can start chewing on some meat. He couldn't have done that, you know, up until that point because he just wasn't old enough physically, and uh, he just couldn't handle that. But now he's old enough where he's starting to to take a little bit of meat and chew on it. And you see the. Uh, the milk is, is, is pre-digested food. That's like, this is what you're getting today. And we get it salt. So we're getting pre-digested food. Dave argue and myself and all the other teachers you hear have pre-digested stuff. And you know, we're giving you some milk out of the fruit of our lives and our learning. But what you need to do is you need to take those verses and you need to get before the Lord and chew on them a little bit. So you need to get that, get out there and Honk on them and taking some beef jerky. You know, It takes you about five or ten minutes to go through a good mouthful of beef jerky because it's tough and it's hard. Milk it for all it's worth. But in doing that, see, that's where God begins to give the insight. See, God gives treasures and secrets, but he gives it to those who love him and those who are willing to pay the price. So daily do that. And then the last thing we do is after God has spoken to us, we need to respond to God. We need to respond to God in an appropriate way by obeying if that was the the result or thanking the Lord for the insight or simply thanking the Lord for who he is. Thank you, Lord, that you're the God of my life. Even though I didn't feel anything, even though I don't think anything happened, thank you that you're working by your Holy Spirit in my life. And if you will do that, I guarantee, because the word of God guarantees it, that you're going to prosper And you're going to grow in your understanding of who God is. And I, uh, just, just, just once again in closing, these, these ideas, these, you know, we talk about theology and we talk about God's kingdom and his purposes and we talk about scripture. And as we meditate before God, the Lord himself begins to pour in wisdom and revelation. And it's like, Wow, this is really exciting. And you you really appreciate God and his purposes. And, and there's an excitement and there's a motivation to follow the Lord with all your heart. See, as you begin to see those things, man, you just want to go for it. You want to serve God with all your heart. I'm convinced that a lot of times in America, our Christianity is so sometimes so uh so lacking in vibrancy and, and kind of weak-willied. Weak need and uh, weak whatever, just weak need, kind of wimpy. Hey, that's a good word. Sometimes we're wimpy, and it's because that we're not taking the time privately to meditate. See, we can get stuff on TV, you can get tapes, books. We've got such an abundance of it that it's real easy to live on milk here in America. But you know, you can't go out and be a soldier on milk. You can't live a fruitful life for God on milk. You know, and a lot of times our church structure is kind of it caters to that. It caters. We, we, we kind of cater to people, just letting them be little babies, you know, and and sometimes our, our our churches, and please no one take offense at this, but sometimes our churches are like glorified babysitting services, and we're, and we're just like keeping the diapers changed and burping everybody, and we're just being happy. You know that song about Amy Grant, you know, that talks about the, the song she sings about, he's just a little baby, you know, wah, wah, wah. Sometimes we're like that, and, and sometimes God just wants to kick us out of the nest and say, hey, get about my work. Now, grow up, you know. It's okay to drink milk when you're a babe. But it's, it's sad for a 40-year-old Christian still needing to be burped, still needing to have their diapers changed. I mean, that gets really old quick. And it gets old for God because He's got great dreams and visions for our lives. And he wants us to mature. Hallelujah. Let me close with just one scripture from Hebrews 5. Hebrews 5, verses 11 through 14. The writer here is talking about the the priesthood of Mechizeldeck and he's got a lot more to say, but he pauses in the middle of this letter and he says, concerning Mechizeldeck, we have much to say and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you, talking to you guys here, you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. But everyone who partakes of only milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But solid solid food is for the mature who, because of, of practice, have their senses trained to discern good and evil. In other words, they've obeyed God. See, they've done what the Lord has quickened them to do. And as a result of that, they're built up and they're growing in maturity and they're effective against the powers of darkness and they're effective in carrying forth the gospel. See, but the, but but growing up requires that you got to take responsibility for your own spiritual life. You got to get in there with God and chew on the meat. You got to take the time to be with God every day. You need to come to these times of ministries, prayed up and s- seeking God, and not just kind of riding along on the wave. You know, just going to church, going to fellowship, and. You know, enjoying everything that happens, but not carrying a part of the burden. And that's when, see, God starts calling us to take responsibility in prayer. God starts telling you, now you be responsible for winning the people that are in your job or on your dorm floor. See, God starts calling us, it's it's time for you to be a teacher now. Maybe not a public teacher, but you're going to be a dispenser of God's word. You're going to be used of God to minister to people in your life and all around the world. And see, God's saying, it's time to grow up. Take responsibility. Don't be a babe all your life, but grow into the full stature of Christ that I've called you to be in. Amen? Amen. Lord, take this word, and once again, we ask you to write it on our hearts. We want to grow up, Lord, more than anything, Father. I want my life to count that when I stand before you on that great day, that I won't have cause to be dismayed, but cause to rejoice of the fruit that you bore through our lives as we obeyed you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dick Schroeder Podcast. For more teaching and discipleship resources from Dick, visit fatherheartministries.net.